0: Hi, this is the Homolidance Podcast, the audio version of the YouTube show about history and board games. This is part two of a chat I had about card-driven game design with Volko Runki, designer of the Coin Series, Mark Herman, pioneer of the system, and Jason Mathews, uh, the co-designer of the classic in this family of games, Twilight Struggle. If you like what you hear, I highly recommend that you check out my YouTube channel for a lot more content. And let's go back to the discussion how do you feel about uh, people actually learning the deck? And that's a question from from NB here. People learning the deck to become more proficient at the game. Uh, and I know we talked about chaos, and Mark was t- talking about having massive decks, so you can actually do that, but I think it's a big part of Twilight Struggle. It's also, in a way, a part of, of uh, Labyrinth, because you go through the deck multiple times, uh, but then it also counteracts that that effect because you actually see the deck multiple times a- across the, the game. But yeah, how do you feel about... Um, Uh, having in the game that aspect that knowing the deck is is an important part of learning the game and maybe we can start with you Jason because I think yeah
1: I mean I I I don't really even though I hear this sometimes as a ding about Twilight Struggle that oh well you know no one if you're playing against an experienced player you don't have a chance I don't know a lot of war games where that that is not the dynamic where, you know, uh, experience with the game is not an important advantage when playing against uh, someone with less, uh, significantly less exposure. But um, in early playtesting, one of the the playtesters told me that Twilight Struggle was gonna be a very successful tournament game for that very reason. And um, I got very comfortable with that idea very quickly.
0: And for you, Volku, what do you, how do you feel about that?
2: Yeah, I, I don't have any problem with uh, somebody feeling that a game I've designed uh, is played more effectively by more experienced players. I'm that that that's great. So there's skill in the game, you know. Yeah. yeah good. It's not all just a, a luck. <laughs> What I what I hesitate on is what Mark mentioned, and that is from the modeling point of view, from the historical simulation point of view, Lincoln did not know the deck. Nobody knows the deck. They're going through, no, they don't even know the rules. I mean, I, I worked with a, an instructor of, of intelligence analysts and we used games in the classroom. And he would always say, don't worry so much about not knowing all the rules. In real war, they don't know all the rules, right? Everybody's going, everybody's playing it for the first time historically. So it's nice to the degree to which you can make it seem that way through chaos, like a big shuffled single card tech, for example, even for experienced players are kind of like, well, oh, they don't really know what's going to happen. That's for me, a modeling
0: benefit. Uh, and I think that could potentially End of the discussion on the current dates of CDGs. Oh, actually, there was one question that was earlier. I cannot find it anymore, but there was a general question. I think we can go quick over it around the role of flavor text. And I know there was a lot of discussion around flavor text uh, uh, with... Um, Amabel Hollen's uh, latest game, The Vote, uh, that didn't have flavor text. And a lot of people reacted to the fact that there was not flavor text on the cards. Uh, and, and she actually made a, a, a very interesting article about the role of flavor text. And I just wanted to have maybe uh, uh, quickly to close that, that section, your point of view on, on what you feel about flavor text and its role that it has, especially on the CDG, because you have so much space for for, for historical flavor. Uh, maybe starting with you, Mark.
3: Yeah, I so... Let, let's call it the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly is how I'll characterize this thing, right? So the, the good part is you play this card, it's got this, you know, it's got a picture, it's got a title, and you kind of know, you know, the historical event that's the, mo- you know, what do you call it, the uh, inspiration for the card, right? You know, uh, so that's the cool, that's the good part, right? The bad part is that, you know, some folks are very uh, literal. So in other words, you know, I, I in the Empire of the Sun, I use I have this kamikaze cards, right? And I worked it out mathematically that you're gonna to get to play one, maybe two kamikaze events during the whole game, but then otherwise I use it as a two card. It's just a, a standard utility two card, like a utility infielder. And for some people, I hear it all the time. I got a kamikaze card. There were no kamikazes. I want my deck to have, you know, early, mid and late and all this kind of stuff. So that's the bad side of flavor text is that if it comes up early when it's, you know, a late event or however that works, for some people that creates cognitive dissonance. And, and so I I think that, you know, there's a good and a bad side of it, but, but there was something that Jason said that I want to. So. I actually am writing, uh, starting to write a, a, a book. But one of the inspirations that I have always had uh, was Ken Burns. You know, does brilliant documentaries on history. And if you watch, if you get down to the mechanics of a Ken Burns, uh, 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 you know, documentary, it's a CDG in its own right. In other words, you know, you you tell this six or seven minute vignette about something that, and then you put them together in a way to tell the broader story. Well, when you play, and you mentioned it earlier, Jason, so it's something you said, I play this card and that's, i have now creating the order of these cards is the narrative, just like it would be a Ken Burns, you know, documentary. And you could, you're just telling that, that version of the story. And, and so, If you can live with the idea that there's this narrative arc being created by the cards, which I think is the best part of CDGs in in, in the sense of what, you know, the kind of the magic can sometimes happen and how events can all of a sudden become very appropriate. The downside of that also is some people just can't see a new story arc other than the one that happened historically. So therefore it's ahistorical. But I always come back to it's the paths not taken. In other words, I like to get in when I do research on a game, I want to know, these are the five things they talked about. They did these five things, but there were 12 other options they never took, but they were discussed. Well, they need to be in the game, and that's where the CDG allows you to bring that part of the story in there, which is different than the original story.
0: And same, Jason, I was seeing you nodding, and I, w- I was wondering what you, what you thought about that.
3: Well, I
1: mean, flavor text has a lot of um... – my main problem with flavor text is I'm getting old and I can't read cards as it is. So if you put a lot of it on there, I can't read your damn card and figure out what the event that I need to play is. Um, in general, I think it helps. And since I like my history obscure, it's almost necessary because most Americans level of knowledge of history, particularly if it's something a little off the beaten path is essentially zero. So a, a little clue, a little, um, a little push in the right direction is is uh, i think welcome obviously i have tended to put card descriptions in separate books just because i'm nerdy and i want to tell people about it and if people want to read about it it makes me happy so um and then i don't have to cloud the card with with a one sentence text but i've tried it I've tried it in both directions, and you have to be, the other thing is you have to be so damn pithy to capture the, the focus of the card in a sentence or two, um, and you know still leave room for everything else the card needs to do. So I, I think that's why I have mostly abandoned it as a practice and, and push things over. Can you say
3: something to that point? I'm sorry. Uh, I saw that... Um, game board bloke, who I know uh, from California, was made a comment earlier on. Good guy. And when we did Versailles, uh, 1919, we had the flavor text. on. We had all that stuff that's on the card and the flavor text. And when he played the game, he didn't quite yell at me, but it was close. Uh, I can't read the diagram. I can't understand what you want me to do. And So I took that to heart, and we took the flavor text off, and we put it into the playbook. So if you want to read what the flavor text is, we actually wrote more Go to the playbook, but by taking it off the cards, all of the graphics got you know fifty percent larger, and, and and you can and you and I can see them without glasses, so that they're definitely big enough. I mean, so so I think that that's going to your point, Jason. There is a you know there's a you know real estate issue with how much text you can get on a card that's useful. That you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to play the game. So I've used the I try to make the flavor text like there's a title and there's a subtitle, and I hope that I can try to get in the subtitle enough that you can go look in the playbook or you can go look on Wikipedia or whatever, but that's how I've tried to handle that.
0: And I think we can, uh, unless Voko, you had something to, to add, uh, or uh, on the flip. Flavor-
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I'll refer, I did a, I did a, a lecture for Georgetown university Oregon society. You can find on YouTube about, you know, considerations in design, using cards, how to design cards for conflict simulations. I talk about this, but it is, Precious real estate on that card, right? You're gonna use half the card for a bunch of little text. You're really <laughs> wasting.
3: So
2: what you know? What market and what Jason said. Think if you're a chef, you're gonna use salt. You're gonna use spice. You're gonna use fat, but don't use too much, right? How much you use? You need a little bit to do the job. So if your title already tells the player exactly why the mechanics are what they are, because it's very commonly understood. You know what? I don't know. Bad weather is. Then maybe you don't need any flavor text. If it's something a little more obscure and you want to get a little bit of help to the player, along with the title and the pictures to why, then you know then use a one-liner if you need it and put the rest you know off in a, in a, in a reference book. Um, make sure that the flavor text looks different, very different, from the mechanical text. Because that's the that's the, uh, a big danger with flavor text is players are going to read that as game text. And then say in your rule book, this is what flavor text looks like on the card. It does not affect play. It's for your historical background.
0: I think that puts this topic to rest. Thank you, Volko. A lot of passion. Uh, so uh, I think that, I w- that what I would like to do is before we go into that uh, last section of the, the discussion, I would like to do a small interlude. Uh, and I, so I asked each of you to think about whether your top three current CDGs, I only ask one rule from you. You cannot pick a game that you made, obviously, but I think that none of you would have done it. But just to be clear. And uh, so the idea is to start from number three, working our way up to number one. It doesn't necessarily need to be a, a sequence of preference, but just your your three pick there. It doesn't need to be hierarchy. I will just ask from you because we're already pretty far in the when it comes to time at one hour twenty-five. So keep it to one two minutes per per game and just present it and explain why it's 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 in your in your current top three, if that makes sense. Are you okay with it? Uh, we can start. So number three, uh, and I see Mark is ready. He's already reaching. Like he's already there. Already reaching for a game. I think we can start with you, Mark. If that's uh, if that's okay. I really don't like this game very much. Oh, wait a minute. The camera is on the yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. We go. So, oh, Volko is blushing. By the this, in
3: way, this <laughs> game, and this will be clear. My top three that of games I did not do. This was the difference between one, two, and three is really. You know, I just wanted to, you know, make, make Vocal not feel too good about it, picking it number one, and he would just be intolerable. But anyway, Wilderness War, uh, I am, I, I will say that I'm, a, a, a big fan of, when I say I'm very interested in the uh, French and Indian War, and the only reason why I never did a CDG on the French and Indian War is because this one's just too good. I wouldn't bother. So, you know, thanks, Volko. I didn't I didn't have to do a game, and I appreciate that. takes one off my list. And what's interesting is where I am, you can see in the background, you know, I'm somewhere, I'm in... Where I am, by the way, is about a quarter of a mile from something called uh, Route 9. But long, long ago, it was called the Albany Post Road. And so that road that's just around the corner from my house is where the uh, colonial troops marched going north to various campaigns in Canada during the French and Indian War. So the same road is called the Albany Post Road. Same road. And, you know, 1756 or so, 1757, American troops went up that road. So that's my number three but like I said, there' the distinctions you know minor.
0: And you uh, Jason, uh, you are number three? In, in light of what
1: we discussed, I don't even know if it counts as a CVG, but I said, <gasps>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we broke your top three.
1: <laughs> but I said Seki Gahara um, just hmm. because I think um, I, the sad part about this is I remember running into that designer, uh, who, I, who apparently is quite a wealthy, brilliant man. Um, and I remember him hawking his design at the same time I was trying to get Twilight Struggle published um, and uh, sitting next to tables begging playtesters to come sit down and try it. But in any event, uh, I, I think it's, uh, it, it, it appeals to everything that presses my buttons. It's off the beaten path in terms of historical topics. It's very elegant. And it plays pretty fast, um, so I, I I think that's quite good. Uh, and it just, has a kind of an evergreen quality for me.
0: And just maybe to 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 this the whole discussion, I think it does based on the discussion that you that we that that you, the three of you had earlier in the in this discussion. For me, it still has some of the traits of the CDG because you do. Uh, have the choice of how you're going to use card because you're going to discard them to uh, decide how many moves you're going to be able to do or how many units you're going to be able to master. So you do have the decision of okay, I'm managing my hand. What do I keep? Why do I drop? Uh, so in a way, you still you still have this. You have this point-to-point aspect to it, and 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 there is also a political dimension. You could say with the loyalty cards coming up. So so maybe there is. In a, in small hints, some of those uh, some of those uh, some of those elements there. So thank uh, you
1: for coming to my rescue.
0: Yes, I will do anything <laughs> to help you, Jason. Yeah, still a CDG, <laughs> you are in the clear. It's all good. And you, Volku?
2: Yeah, and I I followed your rules, I think, uh, and uh, I did pick you know my g- current favorite CGs. What would I play if you said let's play a CDG? And I would be from from these, and but they also m- represent the kind of the phases of the evolution, the lineage that we talked about. So for traditional CDGs, here's here's my favorite um, that we haven't talked about yet, Uh, Wellington by Mark McLaughlin, um, which has all the, um, oh, it has several of the innovations that were in the Napoleonic Wars. But what I love about Wellington, the reason I've played it so much is it really zeroes in on the operational level, which is just, you know, just of most interest to me. And so you get right into the action, the maneuver, the fighting. I'm always interested in in what everybody else is doing. Every battle, no matter where it is on the the peninsula, no matter what side I'm playing, I'm interested. Um, uh, The players, it's four players, 2v2, which has some really um, good um, ambiguous relationship, bad marriage kind of, you know, between the two French players and the two allied players. Um, and everybody has a chance to play reaction cards on what other people are doing. So it's just a very high um, energy experience. Every every time you play, it works beautifully.
0: Great. Back to you, Mark. What's your uh, what's your number two?
3: Number two.
0: Oh yeah, Here, the, the other camera. camera. Yeah, Crusade yeah, and right. Revolution.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and this is the original version. I have at home in another location, the big monster one, but I favor this one because it takes up a lot less table space than the other one. But um this one is definitely a um a Paths of Glory clone. I mean, in fact, if you know how to play Paths of Glory, you'll be picking this one up pretty fast. But I haven't always been fascinated by the uh Spanish Civil War, and I think it just does a particularly good job at I like the way the cards and, you know, the way it all kind of plays out. Uh, I, I just feel like it's a really good simulation of the war, uh, but, and the cards really work in that particular context. So I, I really like, uh, and he also uses um, early, mid and late war is a, again, it's a POG. So it, it has that same exact structure and you can have the command, the victory points work and all that. So uh, I would say that that would be my number two.
0: And maybe a bit of uh, foreshadowing. Uh, this summer, I'm actually having discussion with David, and he should come on the show to do a teach and play session of uh, Crusade and Revolution. So soon, uh, we'll talk about that uh, that game a bit more. Uh, back to you, uh, Jason. So what's your what's your number two?
1: Well, my number two is not a POG clone, but rather POG itself. Um, I. Uh, i i have uh, very romantic uh, notions about playing that game more and and restarting it but um it was to me it, it illustrated so much that could be done with cdg i mean it also illustrates that world war one is a fascinating game for conflict because up until then we'd had you know sort of minor disasters uh um, in that arena and now we have a bunch of fantastic world war one games but um but passive glory i think illustrated that even a war that we think of as being very very conventional has a very important political dynamic and um and cdgs uh emphasize that interrelationship in ways that make games better
0: nice Volko, you were number two. So my number two, and
2: and for me, um, uh, uh, a shining uh, star in the sort of the, the first big evolution um, after the 1990s, is the CDG forum is Combat Commanders Pacific, which um, I think I've played at least as much as Europe, even though there are there's a smaller universe of um, of scenarios for. But for me, Pacific, what's um, we've already talked about Combat Commander, but what's um, particularly endearing about uh, and inspiring actually of of, of the Pacific is that um, Chad and and, and Kai Jensen, they didn't just say, okay, well, we have this big hit of combat commander Europe and, you know, we're going to put it in Pacific and, and, and keep the same. They looked clearly looked at some things that didn't work as well, that were maybe weak points. And what was a brilliant design in combat commander Europe, and in other cases, changed some things fundamentally to better fit the the theater and the and the cultures. And I, for my money, you get you get an even um, more satisfying experience with Combat Commander Pacific than we do with Europe. It's so a- atmospheric and transporting, and it's just one that I will never never stop playing.
0: Nice. That's uh. That's yeah. Now I want to play Combat Commander. And uh, By the way, that's a perfect transition for me. You just reminded me of something. Next week, I'm playing Combat Commander live uh, with uh, Joe Dewhurst, uh, who hates at counter games. Uh, he thinks they are boring and ugly. Uh, he <laughs> never wants to play them, so I'm going to force him to play Combat Commander with him to change his mind, break his spirits, and, and, and make him come to the, to and, the and dark side. And there aren't
2: that many hexes
0: no not that many exactly it's mostly around cards that's that's what's important X's are just casually there yeah there's a few just a few so uh yeah just a bit of this uh and now we're going back into the number one uh so uh mark what's your number one
3: well Volker already mentioned it but oh oh that's a french game for for darn sure (laughs) but anyway uh I have to say that you know, I one I like the fact that it's an area control game. I like the fact that it's got really you know it's got wooden pieces, so you don't not fussing around looking at numbers. And I got to tell you, as I said before, the the card art is just a, a step above everything else I've seen anywhere. You know, obviously getting a famous uh, you know, illustration is to do your card art is, uh, was, was brilliant. Probably didn't quite, co- probably cost him a few dollars, but I'll tell you a uh, fabulous game. Oh, Tardy. Yeah. Illustrated by Tardy. Yeah. You can see it on the board there.
0: And I'm not even sure that it wasn't, that it was that expensive. Tardy is a pretty cool guy. So I think it, maybe yeah. he was, uh, happy I mean, to have well, his I, art. I, I was
3: expecting it, but it was, whatever he paid, it was well worth it. It was worth it. Look and feel the game is just spectacular. And, uh, so those are those are you know, and if you ask me a week from now, it might be some other mix of those. Uh, but uh, but I, but I, I find it interesting that none of us picked each other's games.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you did pick uh, wilderness war, and we haven't done the I number ones Wilson, yet. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah,
3: but, but I was but just he... trying to make Volko feel, but he cries so much these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you, Jason, what's your uh, what's your number one? Well, to
1: uh, Mark's point, uh, and and kind of uh in a sadly sycophantic way i i chose we the people as my number one um it it is still something that i can play with my son and get to the table um and uh i there's so much innovation in it that uh while it may have you know it 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 is not any longer the state of the art it's still uh, a fantastic gaming experience.
0: Oh, that's nice. Are you happy, Mark? You, you wanted, this? yes. That's that's what you wanted, right?
3: Yes, nice. I, I wouldn't care. <laughs> but thank you, Jason. Very kind. I liked it too.
0: And you, Volko, what's your what's your number one? I think there is maybe a crossover between uh, between your top three and uh, and someone else's top three. Yes, yes. Friends yes. wins. Yes.
2: <laughs> so, uh, and you know, we've already talked about uh how the it uses the um cdG form to model trench warfare. I think there was a comment from from Ricardo possibly about all, so many other aspects um of of just cool design to to bring you into this amazing um battle one that just one that I'll mention um, because as, as you know, the battle was very attritional the whole German plan was to get the French to pile in bodies and to just kill more French than Germans were dying. I mean, just a just a weird, weird plan. So it's up to the players how many reinforcements they bring in. It just costs you victory points, but you can pile in the bodies if you want to. And the dynamic of that between the two players alone is this, you know, this interesting, you know, mini-game within within the battle of trying to take territory. Anyway, it fits together beautifully. It it plays smoothly. The use of the wooden blocks means that um it it, it it's it, it looks really cool and is 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 just clean and elegant you know you don't have to do a lot of little factor counting or anything like that um but the the uh, the 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 exposition of the dynamics of that battle in this game are, are just uh, unparalleled
0: great but well, that closes the oh i think that jason you wanted to say something
1: well I have seen them both rave about this game um, now through this video but I'd seen it on Twitter and I'd gone to buy it uh, probably five times but now you finally convince me I'm I'm giving in to France.
0: And and actually there is a there is something and I would like to to uh, it's a second time you would have a shout out in this video but I I really would like to uh, shout out to him uh, board game bloke actually did the vessel mode for for uh, for Verdun. He did an amazing job on it uh, because it it has some, some tricky parts because there is a, you can actually select the cards that you bring in your hand. So, and he did an amazing job on it. Making the game playable online in COVID times—that that's really nice. Uh, so another reason to get the game too, because you you also have access to a great Vassal module to to play with friends uh, uh, around the world. And uh, Jason, if you want to have a teach and play of Verdun 1916 at some point, just come to the show and I will show you the game <laughs> with uh, with uh, with great pleasure. Uh, but thanks for uh, for sharing that uh, that top three awesome uh, awesome selection. And now uh, for a uh, final part, uh, and and we're gonna make it maybe significantly shorter but more as a conclusion or um, actually an opening. I wanted to uh, to have w- that, that final um, part of the discussion that is around the future of CDGs. I know we touched a bit upon it uh, when we we're talking about innovation of the, of the past few years, but actually maybe my first question is about what innovations, mechanical ev- innovations we expected and haven't seen or Things that you would like uh, designers to start explore when they are making CDGs uh, going forward, and maybe we can. I, I will let you. Volko thinks a lot right now. Mark also thinks a lot. So maybe I will start with you, Jason. While 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 Volko and Mark are thinking about it, sorry to put you on the spot.
1: Um, I think. Um one thing that might combine in a very interesting way, and there's some work being done on it in designs right now, is the interest in solo gaming and how you can um, use decks, deck building and deck manipulation to represent a solo bot. And, um, you know, I, I personally don't do a lot of solo gaming, but... In that context, I would be very drawn to try it, um, just because, I don't know, it seems cool to me. Uh, then, functionally, the deck becomes an opponent's brain.
0: That, that sounds super hard to do, but it's super interesting. Now I need to think about it. I will, That's <laughs> You just hurt my mind, Jason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And, and you, Mark, any thoughts about um, expected mechanical innovation on,
3: on, on I how... I mean, so, so the thing that I... So I'm, I'm working on a game whose working title right now is called This is Sparta. And what I want to do is I want to represent the evolution of two royal houses across generations. And so I'm working on a, a way in which you're both playing cards for the moment, but you're also investing in your... The lineage of your house, and so that you're you're both playing in the near term and you're thinking about the future legacy. You're almost creating legacy for your own house as you go forward, to um, to keep Sparta, you know, keep Sparta going and to be the dominant Spartan royal house. So, using cards in this sort of the here and now, like I play a card, and I get an effect, but also having that card in some cases impact what's going to happen three turns from now uh, is something I'm working on.
0: And you, Volko? Any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I I do, and I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking in terms of mechanical. Um, but I I guess the the what I would like to see is con- carrying the revolution forward in terms of settings and disciplines and topics. When I think back to the beginning, like what was so groundbreaking about We the People, and 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 why is it that Hannibal Rome versus Carthage changed my look of war games? It was before that almost all historical simulation games that we played were very tightly focused on military affairs. And if there were uh, events that brought in politics or something, they were kind of on the side, you know, they could kind of, they just sort of, you'd have, okay, it's the event phase, draw an event, and that would happen. Right. And then Mark basically said, well, we're going to bring the, the politics right, right into the, the, the core of the game and that was we the people. And now we're seeing that that the reach of that goes far beyond the old core wargamer hobby. And so Twilight Struggle, which of course has some military stuff in it, but it's going very wide out into diplomatic and political grand strategic affairs. And the appeal of that is proven. So now people who might never have you know, looked at something called a war game, apparently loved Twilight Struggle. And then we talked about Wiesent das Volk and other very non-traditional kinds of topics that this, um, this genre can handle so well. So what else is possible? There's still a ton of history that is not military and not even political necessary, economic history, cultural history, social history, and so forth. The way that, the way that the, the pack series has done as well that I think CDGs would would um, work very well for. So that's what I'd like to see the the, 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 the the trend is already there, but I'd like to see that continue to broaden and accelerate.
0: And that was actually the follow-up question that I had. So thanks for the, the transition Volko about the topics because everything that we've discussed since the beginning of that show is the elasticity of the system and what it can represent. And, and that's also why I wanted to have Jason here because the direction that you you put CDGs in like 1960, making of a president, it feels definitely, it's a CDG, it feels like a war game, but it, it is definitely not a military conflict. And it, it showed that um, uh, CDGs had that uh, aspect to it that you could cover other topics. And I was wondering what kind of topics you think CDG could explore uh, in the future beyond what it has explored today. And, and I have a specific example in mind that, that presents with what you just said, Volko. In one of my uh, playtester for Red Flag Over Paris, uh, she's called Keisha, and she was actually uh, doing a small prototype for uh, something around minor strikes in the US uh, in the early 20th century uh, using CDG. And I was thinking, well, actually representing a strike and the, the, the political momentum that it has and the, the operational problems that you have, it's not technically a, a war, but it's definitely a social conflict. And it makes a lot of sense to actually think about those mechanics to represent uh, uh, like um, uh, the history of the working class or or, or, or different, different kinds of things. And I was wondering what are your thoughts around around the around this? And maybe you starting with you, uh, Jason.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, the the broader the better. I do think that uh, you know the Zenobia Awards are uh, exploring a lot of different topics. I, I don't know how many of those different topics will end up being CDGs, but since a number of them uh, touch on civil rights issues uh, or civil rights struggles. In the United States and, and in some cases glo- uh, globally, um, all, all of those conflicts are given to that kind of treatment because the narrative is told by the events and uh, and you can kind of cast the two players in in the roles of the competing sides without without terrible you know any any real difficulty. Like I said, Al's work on on doing the same thing with a trial is good. I don't see any reason why there can't be a CDG that's based on a a literary piece. Uh, What you know, you, you have books where there are protagonists and they're trying to accomplish things. And there's a narrative arc that you need to to work through. And I think a CDG would work perfectly well for that sort of thing.
0: And you, Mark, what do you think? Are there topics that you're that you're thinking about? Because also with the in a way with the the Great Statesman series, you you started using uh, uh, cards to uh, actually represent internal political conflict, like or even tension between allies. So not the cards are actually not used to 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 or to organize the the the, uh, the the warfare aspect of the of the conflict, but more the negotiation or their directions where you see that there is an opportunity to use that mechanic to explore new kind of topics.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I have become, you know, it always depends on what I'm interested in at the time. And I, I definitely have um, remained interested in internal, you know, I, I have to say this quickly, but, you know, we also look at a country like a, um, like a, a rational actor. Now in Imperial uh, struggle, the king really was the embodiment of the state and you can you could, and i like the whole idea of how you invest he's he's investing and in hoping things are going to come out okay that's that's like at that level i think it's very i like that a lot but in like you think about like uh, ancient greece and you think about even the united states today faction drives a lot of good and bad decisions and i think i'm really interested in how to continue to explore how People could be on the same team and yet not be on the same team. You know, what I call, you know, you know, fremenies, you know, I like that whole coopetition. I find that those to be very interesting situations. But I think the cards, card driven games work well in this, this kind of gray area where, yeah, sometimes I'm your friend and sometimes I'm trying to take you out. And I find that that to be an interesting gaming experience uh, broadly.
0: Yeah. And I think there is actually a game that does that in an interesting way. And that's the expansion for Versindas Volk 2 plus 2. Uh, because normally you have East Germany versus West Germany, and actually this brings in the US and the USSR. And and the thing is that like as East Germany, you need the support of the USSR to win, but then you want to remain a certain level, keep a certain level of independence. And there is all this trade-off that is happening. And
3: I think it's definitely one of the dimension of, of the... Well, it's, it's basically with the NDA and the, you know, the, if there was yeah. a, a very different look in the Fire in the Lake was that we, for the first time, broke the uh, communists into two separate factions, which I think they're, you're finding out historically was more accurate than less uh, as time goes on.
0: Good. Uh, we're getting really close to two hours, so I'm going to ask one last question just to conclude, and that's a question that I, that I, that I like to ask when we're, we're talking about war games or specific family or things is, what do you think are the limits of the system? If you're thinking about CDG, because we've been raving about it, uh, everything that it covers, and 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 the different scales and the different topics. But what do you think, or maybe some some core issues coming with the system that limits actually the uh, how it can be used as a as a modeling tool? And maybe we can start with you, Volko.
2: Sure. Uh, I don't know if it's a if it's exactly a limitation, but it is a consideration and one that um, might you know, turn some players off depending on what you're looking for. And it was a, an aspect of CDGs that was mentioned in one of your, one of the comments. Um, and that is who, what role are you in when you play an event? So if what we're looking for is, is modeling of history, that includes human agency and you, it's, it's role play to some degree. Like we're somebody, we're the King of France or whatever, you know, we're somebody um, maybe that somebody is a collective if we're using the CDG to bring in external events that in real life are far outside the control of that actor, like bad weather, let's say, um, or what some third power decides to do, and we're putting the decision of whether and when to deploy that event into the narrative in the hands of a player, there's a great gameplay game design reason to do that, to make sure that, you know, that event Pops up for the adversary at the most impactful time. But it gives you a little bit of a jarring um, dissonance with that role play. So that means either you're going to say, well, we're really going to, we're really going to be careful as the designer and make sure that every event is something that we can plausibly say, well, that whoever that player is representing could uh, you know bring that event in, could take, could somehow make that happen, right? Or we step away and say, no, that that's not the approach here. The approach here, everything is an abstraction. Your role is an abstraction. And we're going to define your role more broadly as all kinds of things that might happen to your adversary um, and just accept that and allow you to, you know, create bad weather. But that's something I think that that CDGs, that that you're doing hand management, there are external events. And the reason they're events is probably because they are external to your specific role. You always bump into that potential simulation dissonance.
0: And you, Jason, what do you think?
1: Um, I, I agree uh, with everything Volko just said about how slippery uh, player perspective can be in CDGs, particularly if you're working at a strategic level. Who the, Okay, you're the president, but... The president in this country doesn't have these kinds of powers, you know. It, it, it gets muddy. Um, I guess I'm I'm okay with that. But um, the other limitation that I think um, comes with with CDGs is just the reality that reading slows games, and so it means that if you want to make a multiplayer CDG, you either have to say to hell with it. I don't care that this takes twelve hours. Or you have to like combat that reading problem from the get-go. And either you do it, you know, so you can use the sort of Euro market approach for cards that we see a little bit in Gris and Das Volk. Or you can try and provide limited information, limit a hand size, like there are tricks to the trade for sure, but it does make designing multiplayer games uh on on topics that deserve multiplayer treatment more difficult or you can just accept that this is only going to be accessible to war gamers who are willing to invest the kind of time necessary
0: and you mark any closing statements on the on the limits of,
3: of cdg yeah, well, well I, I think volko said it uh, very well and i'll sort of say it a little bit differently in a sense that when uh, the randomness of the card draw, I mean, you'll hear, you know, it's it's you're drawing cards, right? There's randomness to that, and people not having enough player agency to still win the game, even if all the cards don't love you. But just like I have played games where the dice don't love you, so randomness is a natural. Unless you're going to play chess, which has no randomness, randomness, uh, you have to live with that. But I think that in a CDG, if it's not done well. Um, the player feels like they have no agency, then then there's a problem, you know? So I think that's the weakness, is that when the players perceive they don't have agency, even though the cards are random. And I'll just pick up the, the note about, Volko made about weather. Weather is probably one of the great functions that people, you know, what am I, the thunder god? You hear all sorts of stupid phrases, but I will say that it is part of the simulation. So I'll give you a historical example. So we all know the famous story about the invasion of D-Day and the fact that the allies had knowledge of the weather system way out in the Atlantic that was gonna be a clear spot and the Germans had no more, they didn't have meteorological uh, knowledge of that area. So they thought it was gonna keep raining and the, no invasion. Only Eisenhower had the extra piece of information that said, oh, by the way, we're gonna have a clear spot. So if you had a card that said, you know, allies, you know, get clear weather when they, you know, get clear weather. Well, that was an intelligence advantage that the cards could represent. In Empire of the Sun, the same thing prevailed. The Japanese had weather stations on the Eurasian landmass and the Americans didn't. And so consequently, the Japanese know, oh, look, there's a big storm forming up over Asia heading east. And, you know, Halsey walks into a typhoon. He didn't see it coming until it hit him because he had no warning. So sometimes players can't abstract the historical reality. And it just kind of. So there's an example, not so much that the history is bad, but the lack of player agency makes them feel bad. So that, I think that's the biggest weakness is when they feel like they don't have agency over even with the cards they don't have agency over their fate in the game. That's
0: I never thought about the weather card this way. It's really it's it's really awesome. So yeah, that's I have to think about that. But that's okay. Uh, but I think yeah we're getting really close to two hours. It was awesome to have the three of you for so much time. So thanks again for for taking the time. It was a awesome discussion. It could have lasted for a long time. It looks like Volko, you have one last thing to say. No, you're good. No, I just wanted to, to to thank the the three of you. It was um it was really great, uh, awesome. Uh, I don't know if you have uh, any last statement before we uh before end we end the stream or. No, everything has been said. Excellent, perfect. Well, I want to thank you. Well, I want to thank you uh, uh, the three of you but also thanks everyone in the chat we had some awesome questions and a lot of participation so that was uh, that was really really great so thanks to everyone and also usually before the the, the streams I ask on Discord and on Twitter if people have questions and I always get uh, awesome questions to to ask to, to my guests so I want to I want to thank uh, the community for participating so much so that was really really cool uh, thanks again. Uh, any of you are, of course, invited anytime you want. So uh, Jason, happy to show you Verdun, Mark, if you want to teach do a teach and play of Empire of the Sun so I can sure. finally wrap my head around the game. That would be awesome. <laughs> you and tell me
3: you, I'll teach Empire of the Sun whenever you want. You let me know. Okay, I will. I will definitely
0: uh, call you for that. And uh, and Volko will be an ongoing surprise guest for most of our videos <laughs> during the whole summer. So, so so expect to see him. Pretty soon it will be a surprise if I'm not here. <laughs> exactly, that's the thing. People, like, when is Volko coming? That's super weird. But uh, but anyway, that was awesome. Thanks everyone. Uh, uh, and have a good evening or afternoon if you're in the U.S. See you. Thanks everyone. So this concludes this two-part show about CDGs. I hope that you enjoyed it. We ended up playing live Verdun 1916 with Volko and Jason, so feel free to check this out on my YouTube channel if you're interested. In a few weeks from now, I will record a new show exclusively for the podcast, where, with some backers of uh, Homo Ludens, we'll discuss a game that we have been playing as our monthly wargame club, Washington's War, by Mark Herman and it's a CDG so it's pretty related to uh, the topic that we just discussed. I'll also debrief this last couple of months of gaming with my editor-in-chief Sean O'Keefe and I'll conclude this show with a song that I recently discovered Damat Alam, by Egyptian composer Hani Mehana.